You can stay standing for just one moment uh, as we read God's Word together today. We've been doing a number of the Christmas passages this month, and today we come to uh, uh, another great one but uh, from the Old Testament, a prophecy about the coming Messiah. So let's hear these words from Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 7. If you have your own copy of God's Word, uh, you can follow along with me or uh, on the screen. Let's hear God's Word today. But there will be no gloom for her who was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of darkness, on them light has shone. You have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest, as they are glad when they divide the spoil. For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder and the rod of his oppressor you have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot on the trampling warrior in battle tumult and every garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the increase of his government and of peace there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore. The zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Amen. You can be seated. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the chance now uh, to come before your word. We thank you for the power it has to transform us. God, we thank you for bringing us this far into this year and into the celebration uh, of the birth of your son. God, thank you for our, the gifts you give us, family and friends, food, so many good things you've given us. Uh, but Lord, most of all, we celebrate Christ. God, we know that whatever else uh, this week has been for us, times of joy, times of grief, times of mourning, uh, but times of celebration, God, whatever it's been, we know that we have a gift in you that you've sent at Christmas. So Lord, we thank you for the chance to celebrate him even now. In Christ's name I pray. Amen. Well, we've got, uh, by my count, officially one more week uh, where you're allowed to have Christmas lights up at your house. One more week. No, okay, I'm not the, not the police on that, but I will. I don't know if New Year's Day... I will uh, have the time to, uh, to take down my lights. Maybe I will, but I will unplug them that day. <laughs> I will unplug them. By, by my account, uh, Christmas lights can be turned on the day after Thanksgiving and have to go off by, by January 1st. But I enjoy them for that five-ish weeks or however that works out. I enjoy having lights up. Uh, I have not reached the level of getting a, a sign in my yard. In, in Fountain Inn, I'm not to that quality of Christmas lights, but I enjoy uh, having, having lights up. Maybe you and your family, your house, maybe you put up lights in some form or fashion uh, because lights are, are synonymous with Christmas in so many ways. Fountain Inn certainly uh, proves that, but that's not just a local thing. That is a, a, has become an international thing. We, we see some decorations throughout the year. Uh, Easter, you know, people put out a few things. Uh, with American holidays like Memorial Day or Fourth of July, Veterans Day, people put out certain things. Fall usually brings out some decorations, maybe some for Thanksgiving, but definitely for Halloween. But Christmas is the time more than any other we put up decorations. And the primary thing we put up 
is lights. Even a tree, maybe a tree is the first thing you think of, but a tree, to be a tree, has to have lights. Uh, by my totally unofficial historical research, so do not quote this at a party and think you're smart. This is just me Googling things. Uh, best I can tell, the tradition of lighting a tree with candles started in Germany in the 1600s. They would place actual candles on the limbs just for a moment, just for a few minutes, uh, because that's dangerous, of course. And they'd have a bucket close by of sand or water or something just in case something went wrong. But it was a tradition uh, of celebrating light at Christmas. Uh, Thomas Edison invented the light bulbs 1879, and his assistant, Edward Johnson, was the first one who had the idea of putting a strand of light bulbs around a Christmas tree. And he did that in 1882 in New York City. And uh, just a, you know, a little over a decade later, later, 1894, was the first time the Christmas tree at the White House had electric lights on it. And we could say from that point forward, the rest is history. Lights around the Christmas tree and a Christmas became uh, just, they went together. Of course, those are going to go together. So today, millions of people put, tree, put lights around their trees, around their homes, as a way of celebrating Christmas. And so now when we think of Christmas, we think of Christmas lights. They just go together. And that is maybe a little bit of a, a cultural thing because here in the northern hemisphere is where it's darker at Christmas. Uh, this, you know, Germany, like us, it's winter at Christmas. And so is we, you know, the 21st is the shortest day of the year. So we need light. But more than just a cultural thing, it's a biblical thing to put light and Christmas together. The Bible does that. The Bible puts light and Christmas together. We need extra light in our lives. And not just at Christmas, but maybe especially at Christmas. We need the light of God to shine into our hearts at all times. And that's what we celebrate at Christmas. Today we see, we've seen uh, throughout the month, different places where God's word associates joy with the coming of the Christ child. The Magi, the shepherds, uh, so many different people. John the Baptist in the womb celebrated with joy, rejoiced with joy, leaped with joy. Joy shows up over and over again in the Christmas stories, and that's true even some 600 years before Christ came in a prophecy about the coming of the Savior. We see this in Isaiah 9, perhaps the, one of the most famous, uh, if not the most famous prophecy about Christ. That verse 6 is the one we quote all the time. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. But just a few verses before that, we read in verse 2 of the arrival of the Messiah, and he's described as a great light, a great light. This month we've been talking about great joy, and Isaiah tells us of a great light that will be a great joy to us. Verse 3, he says, This great light leads to joy, rejoicing, and gladness. And that is that's good news to us. That is good news to us because before Christ came, before Jesus came, we walked in darkness. We walked in darkness. Isaiah describes that uh, for us when he says um, in verse 2, the people who walked in darkness and those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness. Before the light shines, we walked in darkness. I, I, it's a very dangerous thing to do, to walk in the darkness. If you've not had that experience before, walking in the darkness isn't safe. I remember one time waking up uh, as a, a previous home and just, you know, every morning and wake up early uh, and go out the door to the kitchen to go get coffee. It's what I do every single day. But for whatever day, reason, this day I went to leave 
uh, my bedroom and walked straight into my door, just like head first. The door was just always open. And I don't know why, but it was closed that night and it was dark. And so I didn't see it and just went, bam. Amber woke up like, what, are you okay? Yeah, just, you know, run to the door. No big deal, right? When we walk in darkness, it's dangerous. It's a dangerous thing to do. And God's word describes the, the, the pain, the anguish of walking in darkness. Verse, verse 4, he says, The yoke of his burden, the staff in his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor. This is something that's pressing us down. Living in darkness, walking in darkness is dangerous. And it is oppressive. A, a yoke was a, a wooden piece that was put around you know, cows or some other kind of animal to, to, to pull something, usually like a plow. This would be heavy hard work. So this is a picture of darkness that is oppressive. It is, it is weighing somebody down. And we're probably all familiar with that kind of burden, that kind of weight in one form or another. We struggle against the burden of, of oppression and evil all around us. The, the devil, though he has been defanged by Christ and the, the crucifixion and resurrection, he still prowls and roars like a lion, seeking people to devour. And so that evil comes at us from all different directions. Maybe you've faced darkness from evil people towards you, maybe even abusive towards you. We see darkness in, in evil people or companies trying to take from us things that are, that are trying to destroy us or manipulate us or, or use us for their purposes. We live in a, a dark world that, that tempts us towards sin and toward uh, desires that are, that are not healthy. Uh, the world tempts us to just, hey, just do what's best for you. Live for yourself and do what feels good. Evil and darkness show up in all kinds of ways, struggling with sins, addictions, habits we can't break, things that are just unhealthy for us. And the darkness can creep in in a way that's, that's dangerous. It leads to a sadness, to a depression, to anxiety, to, to all kinds of stresses, or just being generally dissatisfied with the world, that things are not okay. The darkness around us becomes darkness in us when we let it take over. And if we're walking without Christ, we're walking before, before we receive Christ, we are walking in darkness. Isaiah is writing during a time period where Israel's history was up and down all over the place. And he prophesies in the chapter just before this about an, an army that's going to come from a foreign nation, from Assyria, who's going to come and take over the nation of Israel. In chapter 8, they talk about how this, this nation of Assyria is going to come in and conquer Israel because of their sin against God. So in a very literal way, he's talking about an enemy that will oppress them. They will be under captivity of this foreign nation. And darkness was unfolding in a very literal way. So Isaiah is prophesying about the day when the Messiah, the king, will come, who will save them from this oppressor, this darkness, this enemy. But until that day, the oppressor rules. We know that the oppression there was more than just a foreign king. There's more going on to that story. Before Christ, sin had not yet been paid for. Before Christ, evil seemed to be winning. There was no answer for death. Death came for all people, and no man had an answer for that before Christ. We walked in darkness before Jesus came. There's a connection here to our lives before we come to believe in Jesus Christ. Christ's first arrival at Christmas 2,000 years ago, uh, what was 2,000 years ago, but before we believe in Him, before we trust in Him as our Savior, it's like we're living before Christ came. It's like we're living before the cross. It's like we're living before the resurrection. That until we put our faith in Him, until we put our trust in Christ, we have no answer 
for the darkness around us. We have no answer for death. We have no answer for destruction. We have no answer for the evil in the world if we do not yet know Christ personally. Without Jesus, we live in darkness. And there may be occasional glimpses of light, maybe even enough glimpses that we can ignore the darkness for some time. But don't mistake God's common grace for His saving grace. God works all kinds of good things for all people. The sun rises on all people of the earth. The rain falls on the just and the unjust. God gives His glimpses of love and grace, but that grace is meant to lead us to repentance, is meant to lead us to Christ, not to lead us to a life of ignoring Him like so many do. If we reject Him, if we reject Christ as Savior, though we may enjoy some light in this world, we are walking in darkness and not heading to an eternity with Him forever. We can't get the darkness out of our lives and out from around us on our own. We, we need a Savior. We need the light of the world. Just before our, our passage in Isaiah 9, Isaiah calls out the people of God for the way that they were walking in darkness. They, they were facing all kinds of hardships, and it says that the way that they decided to handle that, in Isaiah 8, 19, it says they inquired of the mediums and the necromancers who chirp and murder. And I just know that that's your temptation. The necromancers, you just think about them all the time, don't you? No, what, what is a necromancer? These, these are, are, are magicians and uh, different people of different um, idols and different gods. And the point is that he says right after that, he says, should not a people inquire of their God? They worship the one true God. They know Yahweh. They know the Lord of the universe who created the world, who saved them out of Egypt. And yet, God's people, when they faced hardships here in Isaiah, instead of turning to God, they turned to other things. They turned to other things, trying to find salvation in the things that they can do. And here's what he says in verse 822. They will look to the earth, but behold, distress and darkness, the gloom of anguish, and they shall be thrust into thick darkness." They look to the earth. They try to solve their own problems by themselves. They have a problem. They have darkness. And they know the one who created light, the one who created the world. And yet they're turning to other things to try to solve their own problem. I have news for you. That wasn't just the problem in Isaiah. That was the problem with Adam and Eve. They tried to solve their own issues and take things in their own hands. It's the same pride problem they had. And it wasn't just Adam and Eve. It wasn't just the nation of Israel during the time of Isaiah. That is our problem. When we see that darkness is around us, when we see brokenness, we say, I can fix it. I can do it. I can handle this on my own. It's still one of the biggest lies our culture tries to tell us that, hey, if you just believe in yourself, if you just, if you just really work hard, if you just pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can do this. Or, or maybe we can do this. We together, we can handle this. If we just seek unity together, then maybe we can, we can handle it. And there's some, there's some partial truths to that, that that feel good. And this shows up, if you start looking for this you know, self-help and, and, and pull yourself up type theme, you see it everywhere you go. So just the, the movie we watched this week uh, from Netflix, one of the, the Christmas movies, Jingle Jangle, cute film, fun, lots of great. But the, the, it's about this inventor, genius inventor who loses his way and, and just is feeling down and kind of lost it. But his genius granddaughter comes along and is, is helping him through this. And the kind of the, the turning moment in the film is this song that she sings, as silly as it sounds, uh, that says, the square root of impossible is me. She's saying the thing that, that's impossible, the solution we're looking for is me. It's me. It shows up over again. Frozen 2, not to ruin the end of that movie if you haven't seen it. Elsa's big revelation at the end. 
of the, the, the missing a fifth element, she is the answer. She's the thing they were looking for. The, 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 the solution between the brokenness of the world and its people is this one person, this one queen, Elsa. She's the answer. Uh, last, last year, a couple months into the, the pandemic, you started to notice that all commercials looked the same. Did you notice this? They were all like, hey, we can do this together. If we just work together, we can, we can handle this. And, and there is something beautiful. There's some, there's some tinges, some, some, some common grace of light, right? God's given you gifts. God's given you uh, certain resources you should use for His glory. And there is a, the, the, our unity is a reflection of the Trinity itself, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But take out God from that and none of it works. If we're trying to use our gifts apart from God, if we're trying to band together and leave God out, that's not a solution. It's not a solution. The people on Isaiah's day, like so many of us, like Adam and Eve, trying to take matters into their own hands and say, I'm going to find my way out of my own darkness. I'm going to do the next. I'm going to do what I want to do. I'm going to take my next step to do what I can do to get out of the problem. But it doesn't work. It doesn't work apart from Christ. The false narrative that we are all we need isn't true. It's just that. It's a false problem. Should not a people inquire of their God? That's what Isaiah says. Should not a people inquire of their God? We still dwell in a land of deep darkness, and we need a Savior. We need a rescuer. We need light. And before we look at, at Christ's coming, it's worth noticing here, even before we discuss that, that, that for believers, in a way, we, we are still waiting. Even for believers, we are still waiting. There still is a, a darkness around us, that we are waiting for Christ's final kingdom. As we celebrate Christmas, we celebrate Christ's first coming. We also continue to look forward to His second coming, awaiting His arrival, because we need His answer. Isaiah's prophecy uh, was looking forward to a time when God would come, when, he would, when, when the Messiah Himself would come as our answer. But before Christ, we just walked in darkness. We walked in darkness. I, I worked for a, a summer camp one year, that had a lake, and I remember one night I had to go, for whatever reason, from one side of the lake to another by myself to take care of something, and I got just a little ways out of the cabin and realized I forgot my flashlight, and I was like, you know what, it's fine. There were streetlights um, on both parking lots on both sides, and the moon was out. I was like, I'll be fine. But somewhere about halfway through, there was enough tree cover where, where I couldn't see anything. And I don't know if you've ever been in a moment like that where it's just like pitch black, like I could hear my feet were still on the trail, but I couldn't see them. And it's so, it's so disorienting. Walking in darkness is disorienting because you're like, I, I don't know where I am. And you know what I couldn't do in that moment? No matter how hard I tried, I couldn't make light appear somehow. Like there was nothing I could do to put light on my path. I, I needed a light from somewhere else. I could not produce the solution to my problem. We can't be the answer to our own problem. We need a light. Praise God that Jesus came and he said, I am the light of the world. John 8, 12. I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of light. Jesus is the great light of great joy. The thing that we're waiting on, the thing we need more than anything else in this world is a Savior, is a light to shine into our darkness because we can't make that light. And Jesus is that light. When we see Him, when we see what He's done for us, we can begin to walk in the light and no longer walk 
in darkness. Isaiah says this happens uh, in a really powerful way. Verse 4, he says, For the yoke of his burden and the staff of his shoulder, the rod of his oppressor, you have broken as on the day of Midian. Midian is a reference to, to Judges 6 and 7, where God uses a weak little man named Gideon, who gets lots of applause from people in Sunday school classes. But if you study that story, he, he had just a little bit of faith, and that was enough. But the applause doesn't go to Gideon in that story. The applause goes to God. Because God conquered an army that was way stronger than Gideon, way stronger than Israel, because they wanted, everybody wanted, God wanted everybody to see God is the one to be magnified here. God gets the glory. He overcame the, the much stronger army, much stronger nation of Midian. And just like that, just like God did through Gideon, to a much greater extent, God does for his people through Jesus Christ. Jesus is the one who conquers the, what seems like an overwhelming enemy in Satan. And he does it. He breaks the, breaks the burden, breaks the oppressor's uh, yoke, and he breaks the staff that was over his shoulder. In Isaiah's day, he was looking forward to this, this army that was going to come and invade in Assyria. And he was promising this, this nation will not rule forever. They're coming, and they're going to judge, judge our people. But it will not last forever. There's coming a day where their rule will be overtaken. And that ultimately pointed forward to Christ. Ultimately pointed forward to the greatest king, the greatest savior, Jesus. For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. And his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. For us and our lives walking in darkness, that picture of light is such good news. We all need a counselor, a wonderful counselor. We need someone who can guide us through life. As wise as we may think we are, as many years as we may have lived, as many lessons as we have learned, we all need a guide. We need somebody who can hear our struggles and our pains and guide us through this life safely according to a much greater plan than we have. We need a, a mighty God. We need somebody who has far more power than any of us have. We need a, a, a power greater than the devil himself to defeat whatever enemy we may face. We need something stronger than the grave. We need a mighty God. We need an everlasting father. We need a protector who can direct us and help us and heal us. Whatever your experience with an earthly father may have been, we all know that this father, our heavenly father, our good father is the one we need because he has promised us. He is everlasting. He is always going to be there for us. He always has been and he always will be. There will never be a time when God is not. And that's why we can depend on him. He is the prince of peace. He's the one whose rule finally and ultimately brings peace. Oh, how so much we long for peace, peace in our families, peace in our nation, peace in, peace in the world. And only Christ, only Christ is the one who truly brings peace. He is the light of the world. When angels show up to the shepherds, it says the glory of the Lord shone around them. It was the breaking in in the middle of the night, very, a very literal way. Darkness is here and the light is shining. The Magi, what did they follow? They followed a star. They followed light. It's breaking in and changing everything. It's may be no surprise to us then that when the Bible talks about what happened not just in history, but what happens in our heart, that same metaphor is used of darkness and light. Caitlin read for us 2 Corinthians 4, 6 earlier, which says, For God, it's referencing back to creation, For God, who said, Let light shine in darkness, has shown in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. 
just like God spoke light into existence. There was nothing. Creation, God created out of nothing. In the same miraculous breath, the same way that God did that, that's how he brings life and light to our hearts. The God who spoke light into existence is the one who speaks light into your hearts. Apart from his miraculous work, our hearts are dead and dark forever. He has shown light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ on all those who are believers. The way we most spectacularly see God's glory is that he was willing to die for us. This light that shows, shows us the knowledge of God, the knowledge of God. On the cross, we see his holiness that sin was taken care of. It was paid for. God did not just sweep sin under the rug. It had a, it had a, a penalty that needed to be paid. And Jesus, we, show, we see his grace in that God paid for it himself in sending his son. We see his holiness and his grace. How glorious, how majestic, how mighty, how loving, how gracious is our God. When He has saved you, when He has brought you to knowledge of Him, He is shining light into your hearts so that we can see Him for who He is. And when He does that, He brings us into this light to share that in that light with Him, to live in the light. Second, 1 Peter 2.9 says, But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for His own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of Him who called you out of darkness and into His marvelous Light. If you believe in Jesus, that's because Christ has shown the light into your hearts so that you could see God for who He is and understand Him to some degree so you could know Him as He truly is. Luke 4 was one of Jesus' first sermons, and He quotes Isaiah 61 and says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, proclaim liberty to the captives, recovering of the sight to the blind, to set liberty those who are oppressed, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. If you are walking through life without knowing Christ, you are walking in darkness. Like the people of Israel who were rejecting Him, like Adam and Eve who chose their own ways over God's ways, when we are living without Christ, we are walking in darkness. But when we believe in Him, we come into the light. Isaiah looked forward to what would what it be like for Jesus, for us, for here and now, and you can see why he would, he would say this is so, such good news to come out of darkness and into light. It's such good news. We keep saying this. I keep noticing this through all these joy passages. They don't, they don't, these, Jesus coming is not just like kind of joyous. It's a lot of joy. So much so that Isaiah has to use four different times to describe the joy. Isaiah 9.3, you have multiplied the nation. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you as with joy at the harvest. So they are glad when they divide the spoil. If you have been living your life in darkness, there is no greater news than the light coming on. I needed a flashlight walking in the, in the darkness. I need, I need light in my bedroom so I don't run into the door. I, I, I need light in my life. I, I need sin to be removed. I need God's light to show me who He is so I can understand Him better. We need the darkness of, of sin and addiction to be taken away. And we cannot do it on our own. We need the light of God to shine into our lives to bring us freedom. I mentioned already the names given for, for Jesus in Isaiah 9-6 uh, and how much joy that brings, thinking about how awesome He is. I tell you that the one this week, as I study this, or this month, actually a few months, a few weeks ago, the, the part of that verse that most comforted me and encouraged me was a little bit earlier. It says, For to us a child is born, 
to us a son is given, given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder. Upon his shoulder. You want to talk about light, like physically lighter? You want to talk about joy? It comes from not having to carry all the burdens in life, doesn't it? I don't know about you, but I like to, I like to carry burdens. I don't, I don't actually like it, but my, my sinful heart is I want to carry everything. I want to carry everything. We're sending out Alex today, so I thought about last time I was in Mexico with him. He told us, hey, we're going to hike the mountains for, to go to all these pastures and do all this work. So what do you need for hiking? You need a good backpack. You need to be prepared. So I had seen Alex has a hiking backpack, so I brought my hiking backpack and loaded down with everything I could need for four, three or four days hiking. And so I pulled down my backpack the day we're in Mexico and all the Mexican pastors show up and I'm starting to notice something's missing. They all have like a school backpack or like a grocery bag and I've got backpack, you know? And I'm like, uh, Alex, like, what is the deal? He's like, ah, we don't need all that stuff, man. We're just, I was like, well, I got this, you know, even if I take stuff out, still got backpack, you know? And I, and I realized that that isn't just the way I hike. That's, that's the way I live life. I don't know if you do this, but I, I, I keep piling stuff on. I keep putting stuff in my bag. I might need, I might need this. I, I might need to carry this. I might need to deal with this. I take on burdens that I can't really handle. I, I, can't, I can't change your heart. I can't change my own heart. God can. I, I can't change my family. I can't, I can't handle all the stuff of the world. And it is good and right for us to, to care and to have responsibility and to, to, to get, do the things God calls us to do. But listen. Only God can change people. Only God can do the things that only God can do. And yet we like to take all the things that God does and say, I, I got that. I got that. You know what that is? That is a yoke. That is a burden that we can't carry. Praise God that when Messiah came, when Jesus came, he put it all upon his shoulder, not mine and not yours. We have a king who has come and he is reigning over all things. And he is shining light into the world to overcome darkness. That is his responsibility. He is the one that has broken the burden of the oppressor. He is the one who carries all the weight so that we can have the light of life. To you, to us, a child has been born. To us, a son has been given, and the government should be upon his shoulder, not ours. Maybe you're looking around like, you know, that, that sounds all well and good, but when I look around at what the world has, is it really under control? Is God really under control? Because there's some things that just don't seem like it. I, I can promise you that what the world doesn't need is for you and I to try to say, no, I'll, I'll make it under control now. Now I'll take it and I'll fix it. That's not going to happen. Praise God that he does have it in control and he will prove that once and for all on the final day. By his grace, he has chosen to tarry. But when he returns, every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. And we will see the full picture of what Isaiah prophesied in verse 7. We see parts of this already in the most important ways, but we will see it in its fullest way on the final day. Of the increase of his government and of peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with his justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. God has already started his unending peace in the world. God has already started his supreme reign over all things by defeating death and the devil and the grave forever. Jesus sits on the throne now, the throne of David now, but he will in a greater way when he returns prove his authority over all things and he is in control. Praise God, it's on his shoulder. I, I wonder today if you believe that. Do you believe he is in control? Does he have your trust 
Or are you trusting in yourself? Are you carrying your burdens before Him? Do you trust that He is the one who reigns supreme? Do you trust that He is the one who has brought light into the world? And do you believe in Him? If you do not yet know Him, then whatever other common grace may be in your life, whatever good things may be going on, if you don't know Him deep in your soul, if you don't have a relationship with Him, whatever else your life may look like, you are walking in darkness. The only way to walk in the light is with a relationship with Christ. This Christmas, I, I, I invite you to the light, to the light of the world, to believe in Him and to walk with Him day by day, trusting in Him. And I tell you, right there, walking with Jesus is the greatest joy. The good news of great joy is that a Savior has been born, and He is Christ the Lord. He has shined, shown His light into darkness, and the darkness has no power. It has fled because Christ reigns. If you don't have joy this Christmas, there may be things that are weighing you down and the circumstances of life are hard, and He doesn't deny that. Jesus came to walk in those circumstances so you would, you'd have somebody to relate to. But you can trust in this. It's all on His shoulder. It's all on His shoulder. And if you let Him carry that burden, that lightness, that levity, that light that shines in your life, that's where you find joy. That's where you find joy trusting Him day by day. I'm going to invite the band to come back, or I think Alex is going to come back and lead our closing song. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for the light that You have shown into our lives and into the darkness of the world. God, we praise You that You have taken on the burdens that we can't bear. Father, if we look to our own hands and our own power and our own authority, we can't do it. We can't accomplish what needs to be accomplished. And so, Lord, we trust in You today. We trust that you are at work even when we can't see it. We trust that you are in control even when we, don't, when we don't know what's going on. And we trust, God, that you have shined your light and you've given us a path to walk. May we walk with you today. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.